1: Hey, this is Tom Ward from Forbes and Entrepreneur. Hey, this is Gareth Sheamus, CEO of Ace Universe. Hey, this is George Shepard from Shepard. And if you want to ignite your relationships. And if you want to learn how to build your company by networking. And if you want to learn how important it is
2: to build quality relationships. You should be listening to Build Your Network. Build Your Network podcast. Build Your
3: Network podcast. With my good friend, Travis Chappell. Travis Chappell. Travis Chappell.
0: Hey there! What is up? Welcome back to another episode on the show. Today is Wednesday, which means we are doing another topic. For those of you who are new to the show, every Wednesday we do a topic breakdown. So every Monday we bring on guests and we interview them on their story and their business and um, how to network effectively and those things. But every Wednesday, what we do is we take a topic and then we go into our archive of episodes and we look at all the past guests that have been on and we say who talks about this topic in a really effective way and who who's the expert here. So this. Particular episode, I'm I'm excited about. I think this is a really, really solid one. This is connecting with celebrities. And uh, we brought in three different people who are doing this on different levels. Um, We have Tom Ward, who is a Forbes contributor and has his own YouTube channel. And he's been able to talk with A list celebrities, um, as well as like YouTube personalities like Logan Paul and different things like that on his channel, and how he's been able to get in touch with those people. And then we have Garib Sheamus, who is the organizer of Ace Comic Con. And he has all of the different celebrities that are in. And the Avengers movies and different other types of movies along those lines I'm I'm blanking on on a couple of the bigger ones that he's had oh like people from Game of Thrones and different fantasy worlds and lands that come in and speak at his at his giant comic cons and so he's been able to connect with a lot of those people and we talk a little bit about that and then George Shepard. George is the lead singer of a band called Shepherd you may know them from one of their hit songs Geronimo that were really um, went around it's been a been a few years now since that's been coming since, since that came out and then they have, a, they have another one called Coming Home that that did pretty well as well but I think Geronimo was their their top hit and they opened for Justin Bieber for a while and they traveled all around they've gotten to know a lot of different people they did Rock and Rio in front of over 100,000 people before uh, on the closing night before Rihanna I think um, we talked about that on the show as well so um, there's so much great stuff in this episode I can't wait to share it with you all but first really quickly if you want to know how I build some of the main relationships that I have here on the show with some of these guests, I can tell you the number one way is through the podcast. There would be zero chance of me being able to connect with the people that I connect with if it weren't for having this just amazing value add vehicle and really just excuse to connect with people that I wanna connect with. So if you're listening to this right now and you're running a six or seven figure business and you wanna add podcasting to your tool belt as a way to amplify your network or your message or add an additional income stream to your business or maybe just create authority in in your niche or your space, then head over to travischapel.com slash apply. That's travischapel.com slash apply to apply for an upcoming opening in my coaching program as I only accept a couple clients at a time. So travischapel.com slash apply. I'll catch you there or I'll catch you in the Facebook group. And now let's go ahead and get into connecting with celebrities featuring Tom Ward, Garib Sheamus, and George Shepard.
3: So what I do is I'm kind of an influencer marketing guy. I'm not an influencer myself. I'm a normal guy. I'm not a YouTuber. I'm not a famous Instagram or anything like that, but I'm fascinated with influencer marketing. And that's really what I write about and talk about and go on podcasts about. I'm more in the entertainment space. So the YouTubers, the Instagrammers, those kind of people, you know, I talk about their social media empires, their merch empires, those kind of things. And I write for Forbes and Entrepreneur about that. And I'm actually starting to do some video which uh, I'll have a YouTube channel launching in January called Under the Influence, where I sit down and do a longer-form interview with these people and talk biz, not who they're dating, not anything controversial, just the business of being an influencer, which fascinates me. So that's who I am, and that's that's what I'm into.
0: Yeah, so for people out there listening, provide a little bit of context here and tell us a couple of the more recognizable names that you've been able to chat with recently.
3: Demi Lovato and Kate Hudson over the summer. They're probably the big-name ones. Who's that? You know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wanted you to to give us a couple of those names just so people understand like that. This is the kind of caliber of connector that you are, which is one reason why I really wanted to get you on the show. And so I'm really excited to dive into that. But before we get into that specifically, can you tell us like how you got into this? Obviously, there's no like major in college for influencer marketing and you know what I mean? So how did you get into all of this? What sparked that?
3: Well, we have to even take a step Back before, so the influencer thing has really only been since January of 2017 is when I interviewed my first influencer, and it was kind of we'll get into it, but it was kind of just a lower end, middle of the road YouTuber. Um, Now she's bigger; she's got about two million followers. You know, shout out to Marissa Rachel, wherever you are. But she was the first one, and then. That was in January, and then throughout the year, then I was doing Demi Lovato and Kate Hudson and Jake Paul and all these other, you know, 20 million plus follower influencers. But before I even got there, really where my whole journey starts is, I guess about four years ago, yeah, three years ago maybe. So I read a book. I actually still have this job, and and I always stress this. I still have a regular job, so I do all this cool stuff, but really what does pay the bills is a day job. I'm in sales. I was I sell industrial equipment, right? I always tell people that just because they think, hey, this guy is so cool, I can never do this. He gets to sit down with Emmy Lovato and stuff. That's all true. And I really hustled to to do all that and make all that happen. And it does pay me and you know, there's money there too, but I live in LA so I need a lot more money than that, that gives me. So I'm in sales. I have a normal you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five job. And about three years ago, I wasn't crazy about it. I was kind of bored and just kind of stuck. And this really wasn't my career aspiration. So, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I read this book, you know, I was reading all these self-help books and stuff. And I read this book by Dory Clark. You should check it out. It's called Reinventing You. And her whole thing Mm -hmm. was you can reinvent yourself at any time. So you, whether you're 30, 40, 60 years old, you can still reinvent yourself, but one of the things you have to do is you have to get evidence in whatever new field you're going into. So I could say, hey, I'm a hip-hop music expert. Okay, cool, but no one's gonna believe me because I have no evidence. I, I was never a hip-hop artist, I've never written anywhere about hip-hop, I've never been on camera talking about hip-hop or anything. So. I can't become a hip-hop expert until I have those kind of things and one of the things she talks about is writing. Writing is one of the ways you build evidence mm-hmm. and blogging specifically is one of the things that's easy and it's free that you can do and you can take action today. So you listening in your car right now, that's one of those takeaways is you can go write. You can go home and set up a free WordPress site or free Squarespace site. and you know, start blogging and writing about whatever field you want to go into. Hmm. So that's what I started doing. That's how my journey started is I just started writing and I started an anonymous blog. It was before I bought TomWard.com, and because I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was anonymous. So no one, you know, none of my friends or family or anything saw that, oh, Tom's writing about whatever today, exercise. And then now he's into fashion and now he's in. No, no one knew what I was up to. So Hmm. I just wrote about whatever popped in my head. So business stuff, marketing stuff startups, music, health and fitness, all of these things I was into Yeah. until I kind of found my niche into that kind of business-y, entertainment-y kind of content. Yeah. Then Dory, I actually formed a relationship networking with Dory, the woman who wrote the book, mm-hmm. and she put me in touch with her editor at Forbes. And she said, hey, I really like this guy. I really like what he's writing about. You know, Here's the introduction. And then that was the first gig I ever had was writing for Forbes.
0: Really cool. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Really cool. Actually, I have Dory's new book, Entrepreneurial You, out on my desk right here. I just had her on the show like last week, so it's funny that we're talking about her. She's super, super cool. I would uh, highly recommend going and picking up a copy of Reinventing You and Entrepreneurial You, both great books. Thanks, shout out, huge shout out to Dory Clark. I've got a question here for you, Tom. Going back to what you were talking about with reading this book and helping you try to figure out what was going on next for you, how crucial was personal development and self-development to finding what you really wanted to do?
3: I don't know. you know, I'm a pretty self-aware guy and I do a lot of work on myself. Mm -hmm. So for me, that wasn't that important. For me, what was more important, what Dory talks about in the book, a lot of shout outs to Dory, is interviewing people in the field you're thinking about going into. Mm -hmm. So I was interested in health and fitness and I've always been interested in that. And I said, well, you know, maybe owning a gym would be something I'd be into, right? So I found a couple people in town who owned the kind of gym I was interested in and I offered to buy him lunch. And They sat down with me and talked about their business and the positives and negatives and just gave me a kind of inside scoop. So for me, sitting down and surrounding myself with people who were doing what I wanted to do or what I was thinking about doing was the most important thing for me in helping me figure out what I wanted to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, so important. That's literally what I've done as well with the podcast is a blog is just written podcast or a podcast is just a spoken blog, whatever, however you want to say that. But the strategy there is fantastic and can't stress that enough. To, if you're looking for a way, if you're at a point in your life where you're about to pivot and you know that something's coming next, but you don't really quite know what that is, go pick up that copy of that book and give it a read, reach out to Tom myself, let me know what you got from that. And so now we're here end of 2017 here, Tom coming into 2018. Where do you see all this going?
3: I see myself in 2018 focusing on this full time. So quitting the day job and kind of going out on my own really cool. and doing this full time this year. So I've got some things in the works, but really doing, I figured out what I like to do when i what I'm good at. And it's interviewing influencers, yes. like being surrounded in that world. It's a weird niche that I kind of found because they sit down with me and we'll talk about networking more because I provide value, hmm. So when people sit down with these influencers, uh, when I say influencers, that's a very broad term. So an influencer could be a Dory Clark. She's a thought leader in mm. in that career development space. You yeah. know, Dory's. She's the man. You know, yes. She's the person in that space. Mm-hmm. And an influencer could be that, that YouTuber that your kid watches that you've never heard of but has 10 million subscribers on YouTube. So it's a kind of a broad spectrum. Yeah. And again, like I'm more in the entertainment space, but I am interested in Dory and Tim and Ferris and Gary Vanderchuk and those other guys, which yeah. I'll sit down with too. But really when I sit down with these people, the value I provide is I'm not in, interested in the gossipy stuff or the controversy. I'm interested in business only. Yeah. So for that YouTuber's twenty years old who every time they sit down they say, "Hey, what happened? You know, when your neighbors kicked you out of the neighborhood last summer? or Are you still dating this girl? Or what do you think right. about this diss track or whatever?" I'm not going to cover all this. I want to hear how he sold, how he just bought an eleven million dollar house in Calabasas, or <laughs> specifically Jake Paul, right? Or yeah. how he sold, you know whatever, $5 million in merch last year. Like those are the kind of things I'm interested in. And my audience seems to be interested in too. And they seem interested to talk about. So, you know, going forward, that's more kind of where I'm, I'm focused.
0: Really cool. Really cool. So how do you add value to some of these people then? So for somebody sitting out there, that's just like, okay, that's super cool. You get to talk to these people. How do I even go about doing that? What's the process? How do I add value to somebody like Jake Paul, who has all this other stuff?
3: Well, and actually, go to tomward.com, and we'll get, there'll be a link in the notes and stuff. I've how to connect with influencers free guide on there. You could check it out. Perfect. It's only like ten pages, but it breaks all this stuff down. But the first thing is be realistic. That's number one. I couldn't sit down with Demi Lovato unless I, you know, interviewed Marissa Rachel, that kind of lesser known YouTube star, and then she brought me somebody else who was bigger than her, and I talked to them, and then they brought me to something bigger and bigger and bigger than. Hey, guess what? In six months, I end up sitting down with Demi Lovato and talking business and all this other cool stuff. Yeah, I couldn't have reached out to Demi Lovato first. You know, her people would look me up and go, "Who is this guy?" Next, right. so you got to be realistic. You're not going to sit down with The Rock, okay? <laughs> you know, if you tweet, <laughs> "Hey, at The Rock, like, let's bro down," I mean, he doesn't <laughs> want to bro down with The Rock, of course. But you know, you're nobody. You're, you're not. He's not even going to respond or even see your comment, right? No. But if you reach out to a Dory Clark and you've got some credibility, she'll sit down with you. You know, hey, I've got mm-hmm. a podcast that focuses on this. Dory, I love, I've read your book. I love it. You know, let's sit down. Yeah. Chances are she would. So I think the first thing to do is to be realistic. And, you know, we could talk more. I'm not sure if you want to yeah. go more, dig deeper into that.
0: Yeah, well, let's go take it from, okay, so being realistic, this is all ways to try to get in front of these influencers. Once you're in front of them, how do you add value to somebody like that? Because that's something that we preach on this podcast a lot, is to lead with value, to always give, to look for ways to give and serve others. And that's how you really build genuine true relationships. So for somebody like a Demi Lovato or a Jake Paul, or these people that have just insane amounts of really good connections. They have all the money in the world. They know this person, that person. What can we offer to them to really bring value to the table?
3: Okay. Demi Lovato, first of all, you got, you've got to sell why they should sit down with your dumb ass. You know, <laughs> why, is, why is Demi Lovato going to sit down with my old, bald ass? It's not for my good looks and charm, right? There's way better looking people that sit down with her and do this all day, right? So what can I provide? That is the most important thing. And you hit the nail on the head is providing value. What can I do for them? Mm-hmm. And what I could do for – stay with Demi Lovato because everyone knows who she is. What I could do for her is I could get her press in her entrepreneurial endeavors in the number one business publication in the world, Forbes. Hmm. So, you know, InStyle was there, People Magazine was there at this launch party she did with Fabletics. She came out with this leisure line for Fabletics, Kate Hudson's company. And she sat down with me because, yeah, she was sitting down with Us Weekly and People, but... They're just talking about, hey, who are you dating? What's your yoga routine? You know, what do you do to stay fit? Right. They're not talking to her about real business. And yeah. that's what I could offer her. So that's the reason she sat down with
0: me. Hmm. Just a unique value proposition to where she was able to do that. This is the cool thing though, is that I love tracking this kind of stuff. And this is what I really like to do on the show, Tom. So you sat down with Demi Lovato because you had a big name like Forbes backing you up. And the way that you got that name was by reaching out to Dory Clark, whose book that you read randomly, trying to figure out what you wanted to do next. You took her advice, reached out to her, formed a friendship, sent her some material that you'd been working on. And then that got you this interview because you have this name of Forbes right behind you backing you up and I just I wanted to point that out because I think so many people see the interview with Demi Lovato but they don't see the previous nine months or year of work that you put into it of putting out blog content all the time. And you're not really sure where this is going to go or how this is going to take off or where it's going to end up. But you know what? I'm just going to keep putting out this kind of content. And then I'm going to reach out to these people. I'm going to work on growing my network and knowing the right kind of people. And so reach out to Dory Clark and then all this other stuff happens. And so that's what I really like to focus on is that this is such a long-term game. It's so hard, I think, for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, Tom, and you can speak into this too when I'm done. I think it's so hard for a lot of people to look at the long-term because we're such short-term thinkers most of the time. And so they don't invest a lot into networking because they don't see the positive effect tomorrow. Does that make sense? Do you agree with that? It
3: does. And I'll I'll even go a step further, right? And I know what you're thinking. You're sitting in your car and you're going, yeah, he writes for Forbes. So of course he can sit down with Demi Lovato. Right. Bullshit, right? There's a lot of people who write for Forbes, including staff writers. And I'll go a step further. So from that interview, Jake Paul, we've talked about him. Your kids know him if you don't know who he is. He's a huge YouTuber, right? He's 20 years old. But he's no dumb kid. He's mm-hmm. got a $5 million venture capital fund with Gary Vaynerchuk, who invested a million dollars. He sells a ton of merch. He's got all these other things going on. But he was in a ton of controversy last summer. His neighbors kicked him. He had this house with all his boys. And it was just fans were showing up all the time and all hours of the day. So his neighbors you know, filed complaints against him. And then he got kicked off the show he was on on Nickelodeon. And there's all this controversy surrounding him. And everybody wanted an interview with him. Now, okay, you go, okay, Tom, you write for Forbes, should be no problem. No, everybody from Forbes and every other magazine wanted to sit down and talk with them, right? Mm -hmm. But I got the interview. Now, how did I get the interview? Well, turns out he has the same publicist as Kate Hudson, who I interviewed two months before. So it wasn't a one and done, you know, it was I wrote the article with Kate and Demi, the publicist liked it. And then I'm always asking for more i'm a salesman by trade so i never stop i'm Mm. to to the verge of annoyance yeah so when i was done there i said hey who else do you represent what else do you have going on who else could i sit down with and talk yeah and you know a pr person that's their job is to get their clients press so to to have a hungry writer who wants to write about their clients of course there's going to be a relationship there so when jake was doing press and his pr person wanted to put him in touch and sit down with someone that he trusted and has proven themselves. And I got the interview mm. and I did him right. You know, I didn't slander him, I didn't, you know, press too hard or anything like that. But that all came from the Kate Hudson thing, which came from the Dory Clark thing. So, yeah. like you said, it is a long game, but you should always be selling, always, mm. right? There's always a connection to be made. There's always a coffee to have or a lunch meeting to take or, or something mm. like that or a networking thing to attend that you can go, ah, I really don't feel like doing it today what's the payoff? Well, you don't know. The payoff may be a year from now. It may be never, or it may be three connections to the payoff that you wouldn't have made unless you went to that networking thing. So you just got to keep doing it. Well,
0: it sounds like you and I have a lot more in common than I originally thought, Tom, because my background is a hundred percent in sales, like hundred percent commission door to door type sales. And it's funny because I run into some people that ask me how sales and networking go hand in hand. And, and I think there's a lot of ways that they coincide, but there's also some ways where they kind of are polarized, so to speak. So can you talk into that? Has it been difficult for you as a salesman to create a long-term relationship when you're used to like going in for a close or vice versa? What Talk to us about like that whole dynamic of sales and networking, how they go and how they coincide together.
3: Now, see, I would disagree, and I would say sales and networking is the same exact thing. So the the way I approach sales and still do is I form long-term relationships. Okay. So I started out selling cars, Mm -hmm. and I would see a lot of people do, and I'm sure there's people still doing it now – And I call them dummies because I go, I want (laughs) to slap them. So they try to make the most money they can make out of a customer right now because they're in front of them. Mm -hmm. So uh, say you get somebody to do that, right? Pay you more than they should for that car. Well, eventually they're going to find out and they're never going to want to do business with you again. Mm -hmm. So it's very short-sighted. I take the approach where I go, okay, I'm going to take less of a profit now, treat the person right, and immediately ask for referrals and form a long-term relationship. So when their you know, daughter needs a car or when their neighbor needs a car, they're gonna call me. Where mm. the guy who just robbed them is not gonna send business to that dealership, that person, or maybe even that make or model of the car. You know, yeah. Don't even buy right. a Nissan because they screwed me. Right. right? So you, you may get that kind of thing. And I'd say it's the same thing in networking. The, what I'm, I'm not selling a car, I'm selling myself. Mm. I'm selling why Tom Ward belongs at that party with Demi Lovato.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Why I belong to that group of sales professionals that I want to you know, be a part of. Why I belong at the cool kids table. Because yeah. isn't that what networking all about? Whether you're marketing nerds or you're plumbers or whatever you, your thing is, you want to hang with the cool plumbers and the plumbers are making a lot of money or right. the marketing people who work for Nike that like, that's the dream gig. I want to connect with them. So you're selling why they should hang out with you.
0: What's up, everybody. Just want to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite new podcasting app, Himalaya. If you are not listening to podcasts on this app, you are definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners, follow your go-to shows, like, and comment on your favorite episodes and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your App Store or Google Play Store, download Himalaya today, and then thank me later. So your company is Ace Universe. So what exactly do you do with Ace Universe? Like how does it flush itself out on a daily operational basis?
1: So right now, we started the company at the middle of last year to start out doing new comic cons, but to do it in a very, very unique and what we think is the future of that world. Okay, And Because of our relationships with the talent and the talent agencies that we've established over the the 25 to 27 years that we've been working, our goal was to bring in the biggest celebrities in the world. Mm. We wanted to make sure that if you were on screen, whether it was movies or television, and you had a global audience, we wanted to make sure that we can bring that to life and give people access to things that they would never have access to and open up the access that we have To everyone else. And for us, you know, the whole early part of our life, literally two decades, it was about being accepted because people who collected comic books or action figures or played the video games, you know, we were the outcasts, we were the geeks, we were the nerds. It Mm -hmm. wasn't cool. And then over time, it became cool. Mm -hmm. So the first part of our careers were around acceptance. Today, what we're doing is now that we're accepted, we're building it into a community. And how do we engage this community in a lot of different ways? And the first way that we've established was through the Comic-Con. So what we're doing is bringing in the big celebrities and instead of going to convention centers, we're going into arenas. Mm-hmm. And what do people think about when they go to an arena? They think they're going to an event, they're going to an experience, they're gonna be there with their friends, they're gonna have fun. And we wanna create that kind of aura now about when you go to a Comic-Con, that it's not just a very transactional experience, but it's something that you could participate in and be there and be part of the fun and be part of the action and be part of that community. Mm. And that's what we're doing now with our events and creating that kind of festival atmosphere. And then the second part of it is the media side of it is now usually when you have a big celebrity like that, you know, especially at some of these events, it's very closed right? So if you're there, there's only a few thousand seats, only those few people are lucky to see it. And then if there ever is a video that escapes online, it's some handheld cell phone in the dark, and it's, mm-hmm. and you know, you can't hear what they're saying, right? But we're doing the opposite. So rather than discouraging that, or encouraging that. So we want people that are there, that are experiencing the biggest celebrities in the world or the talent that we bring in, we want them to be able to share it with everybody all their friends. And so we're now live streaming the events. We're taping a lot of it. We're making it available. We want anyone anywhere that wants to experience what's going on, we want them to be able to have that access.
0: So going back to the beginning of that answer, there's something that yeah. I really want to bring out of that because there's something I was going to ask about. So I'm, I'm happy that you brought it up first. You've been in this space for a really, really long time, a couple of decades now. What kind of transformation have you seen with the people that follow this industry in the last 20 years? Because it's kind of talking about you went through this phase of like where these people are like you're saying, the outcasts, the nerds, the people that were interested in this stuff. And now it's really become a lot more widespread, possibly due to the fact that they've been made into movies and like, you know, in insane worldwide blockbuster films that that are being created out of these. What kind of transformation have you seen in the audience members of these comic cons and
1: stuff that you're doing? So it's interesting because it has gone through a few different phases. So when I started back in 1990, 91, the audience that we had with our magazines, it was about 95% male. It was age 14, 15 year old guys. I mean, that was the audience. Okay. And What happened was as the audience started growing, that audience started aging. So people started sticking with it longer. So as we grew, that 14 and 15 year old became 16 and 17 and 18, and 19 and 20, 21. So, and even if we were getting a lot of new people in, a lot of people were sticking with it well beyond when they would have typically stopped. Hmm. So what happened was the age kept going up and- also still kept being male. And then what happened was back probably in the 2000 range, what happened was people all of a sudden felt like they didn't want to stop collecting when they got to that natural age of, let's say, 18, 19, when they went away to college. They would typically you know, give up comic books or give up video games and you know, be into sports or girls or have other interests. Mm-hmm. And once people found that they didn't want to stop doing that, then the material started changing the material started getting more mature and then as the material got more mature then women started coming into it hmm. and then what also then happened was then more movies and television started emerging and then as that started emerging you know the age was still getting older and then i kind of want to fast forward to today where the the movies have gotten so big and the tv shows have gotten so big and they've gotten so diverse right that so many more women have come into it. And then the second thing that happened was the generational aspect came into it. So the guys that grew up with it now have kids Mm -hmm. or they were young at the time and they had their father. So now all of a sudden, there was a lot of this kind of father-son relationship that emerged. So that's why when I, it was very, very interesting that when Disney bought Marvel and then bought Star Wars, Mm -hmm. I always talk about, How Disney owned that mother-daughter relationship. They had these princess movies, and it was something that when a girl grew up and she got old enough, she got her daughter into it, and they had that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. When Disney bought Marvel and then bought Star Wars, they bought that father-son relationship. And that's when everything broke open for them. And then Disney's done an amazing job with Marvel in terms of making them family-oriented and especially today you have some of the best-looking guys in the business so there's certainly that attraction mm-hmm. you know for women there's definitely that male superhero component to it so it's certainly attractive to men and then now even more is happening where you have a character like Wonder Woman mm-hmm. where you have young girls that would have never been in the superhero business all of a sudden dressing up like you know the princess warrior and we had Gal at one of our shows recently and you can't believe how many young girls showed up in costume with their moms. And it was just so amazing to see yeah. You know how diverse and how big this industry has gotten.
0: That's incredible. What a crazy, crazy transformation. So did you notice a huge spike when the movies started getting really big?
1: Yeah, it was actually uh, two parts to it. It's when the movies started getting big and then social media compounding it. So it was a combination of starting the fire and then pouring the fuel on it. Yeah, yeah. So when we were used to get celebrities at our shows, people wanted the pictures, but they were a lot more interested in the autographs component to it. Mm-hmm. And now with social media and the like being your currency, it became one of those things where people want the picture with the celebrity. You know, they want to be feel like they had that experience. They had an emotional connection with that artist or that celebrity that's there that whatever they do is resonating with them and so much of superheroes is about you know the extension of someone's abilities and so many people have these characters these superheroes that resonate with them Mm -hmm. you know because they might have originally started out with that type of ailment or something that sets them back or something that's been holding them back Mm -hmm. and superheroes have been able to overcome it in a big way. It resonates with people and people want to be able to capture that moment with that celebrity.
0: Well, to be honest with you, Garib, I could talk about superheroes for a lot longer. So I should probably cut the conversation short here and move into the networking part of the conversation since this is a build Network podcast. This is a question I ask everybody on the show. So everybody that comes on, I ask them this question just kind of to kind of get the ball rolling in this direction. So do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important
1: and why, Garib? So I do think that networking is the most incredible life skill that you can have mm. because it never stops, it's never too late to get started, and it follows you everywhere, and it enables you to move in and out of almost any aspect of your life in a way that over time just keeps getting bigger and better. So I've been very fortunate. It's not like I ever thought about it, but you know, as a very young age getting into business, I didn't know anybody. So I just had to meet people and meet people and meet people. And and what happened is over time you start working, you start meeting people, and then they introduce you to people and they introduce you to people. And then over time, you just build up this incredible network and it enables you to get into almost any industry or business or just even being educated about some area. So for yeah. me, you know, networking has been, you know, I think one of my greatest life skills.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've been able to build literally this superhero empire, so to speak, out of really nothing. So that's what intrigues me the most, because obviously, I believe that that networking is so crucial, and getting to know people is so crucial, and relationship building is so crucial. Where along the line did you really figure out that that was something that you needed to, you know, double and triple down on?
1: Again, it, I don't think it was anything that I was conscious of at the time. Because for me, it was, I was 21, I was trying to build my company, and I just needed to know people. Hmm. And also because of my age, when I was 21, I also looked like I was 14. So a lot <laughs> of people didn't take me serious. Very, so that was very complicated too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, I had to work double as hard because people weren't taking me serious. Right. So I had to meet as many people as I could just to figure out who I could work with and who I could do stuff with and where I can get access to. Fortunately, the industry that we were in, especially with the newer and upcoming comic book talent, especially the artists and the writers, were also very, very young at the time. So that helped a lot Mm, because people that I grew up with, they were my age or a little bit older or a little bit younger even. Mm -hmm, And we had all the same issues. So we kind of gravitated towards each other you know, and that worked out really, really well. But for me, it was always about trying to get to the right person or the right resource or to just be able to provide so much more information for our audience. So, you know, the whole thing was being a magazine was we just, we needed to be the experts before everybody else was. So we had to call people, we had to reach out to people, we had to get access to things before everybody else did. That was my job. Yeah, And, you know, I think I had no choice, and I had the perfect cover to call everybody. It's like, look, we're doing a magazine. We want to write about your product. It really helped getting responses to people. Hmm. And then it felt really good, right? So once you meet somebody that you've been trying to get to and you meet them, you're like, wow, this feels good. I like how that feels. I like meeting that person or getting the access to that person that I never thought I would have to get to or could get to. And then it gets, it's contagious and it's intoxicating. And then you want to do more and more of it.
0: So when you were starting, when you were 21, this was what, 1990, you said 1991?
1: It was 1990, 1991. Yep. Okay. So obviously
0: a little bit before social media was around, um, which makes connecting with people a little bit more complicated than it would be today. So what were some really practical ways that you used to do it back then? And then now, do you still apply those same ways just in addition to social media or have you completely just transformed over to online?
1: So it's definitely changed, I mean, certainly because over time, as you get more successful or as you have more resources, it's a lot easier because you can, you know, people still are very transactional in the sense that if you help me, I'll help you kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. back in the day, I used to take this motto that I used to have in the publishing world, which is, you know, however we need to access, right? So for me, it was, okay, if I called somebody or I had to meet them in person or, i had a cell phone or go visit them or find out who they know that can make an introduction for me today i do the same thing and i don't limit myself to oh call or email it's do i know somebody or are they on a network are they in a network is there somebody it's a lot easier to identify who your common connections are but you still have to do the work you still have to make the investigation and you know now it's so much easier to be able to access people. Mm -hmm. So I try to access a lot more people. But I will tell you, I don't have a, I don't even say near perfect hit rate. You know, I would tell you, you know, my success rate is very, very low. I mean, there's still a lot of people that even today I reach out to and I never hear back from them or what have you. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly if I'm the person, that's a different story. But you know, you still got to do whatever it takes, in terms of the research to find out how you know somebody, because the more you come in, from a trusted source, the more whoever you're talking to is gonna believe that you're working on something or a part of something that they should be able to access.
0: I love that you said what you just said about The fact that you still reach out to people and you still get a lot of no's and that your success rate isn't anywhere near perfect. And you've been doing this for 20 years and you're one of the premier companies in the entire industry and you still have people that say no. And I love hearing that because I think sometimes people, myself included, and a lot of listeners that are tuning in right now would probably be able to identify with that because they're going through this whole imposter syndrome phase where they don't believe that they're enough, that they don't believe that they're worth a reply even in it keeps them from reaching out for people and then they go reach out to two people, maybe three people, and they're putting themselves out there and then they don't get a response from two of them. And then one of them says, no, I don't have time. And it just is completely discouraging and like takes all the wind out of their sails. What would your advice be to somebody like that?
1: So a couple of things. One is it's great and you just have to keep trying. And you know, the failure is not trying. The failure is not getting a response. The failure is not actually trying to get the response. And then also I think a lot of people, too, they may think that just reaching out is doing the job, when in fact, there has to be that research, and that has to be that, what is it you know, that you're looking for? What is the situation where you want somebody to respond to you in a way that you are offering them something, or they're offering you something, or they could be helpful in a lot of ways? So I have a very similar issue, which is I'm on the other side of a lot of people reaching out to me also. And when people just reach out to me to say hi, you know, a lot of times they're not going to get a response because I don't have time to figure out why they're reaching out to me or I don't recognize the company or I've never worked with them before. I don't even know, you know, that they have a mutual connection or things like that. Right. So it's very difficult. I don't have the time or energy to figure out how I know this person or why I should know this person or what to do with them. And so the more information you can give me, the more likely I am. To respond. Hmm. So it works kind of both ways. People should never be despondent over not getting responses. I mean, every single time in history, you hear about these people that started companies or these actors that did this, or their rooms are littered with letters, you know, that they got rejected, you mm-hmm. know, 20, 30, 50 times before somebody finally said yes. Yeah. But you got to ask 50 people to get one yes, if one out of 50, you're going to say yes. So, you just got to do it.
0: This is the Build Your Network podcast. So we talk a lot about networking, relationship building, and all that kind of stuff. And really, in the end, that's what ended up making it for you, right? Like you, you guys were talented. You were putting together good music. You had fans. You had people coming out to your shows. But the career didn't really explode and take off until a primary school teacher believed in you enough. To just keep sending audio out to a big name producer, who eventually, after a lot of prodding and samples, basically said, "Hey, you guys are good enough. Let's sign on." And then, boom, it turns your career around. How how important, how important are relationships, man?
2: I think I feel like they're everything. Like, like you just you pretty much hit the nail on the head. You can you can be the greatest songwriter and musician of all time, but it's like you you need other people. It's a team effort. You know, there's not just one person here that is. Uh, you know, leading the pack and, you know, everyone looks to them and it, it, they make all the decisions and they can click their fingers and magic stuff happens. It's a team effort. You need a whole host of managers and agents and promoters and marketing people and, and label people to to get this thing off the ground to help to help a band really establish themselves. And so, yeah, you really need to know the right people for the job and you need to uh, talk to as many people as you can to to get the best people for the job.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So along this whole path, have you been actively trying to create new relationships with other people that you perceive to be like important to the journey?
2: I I guess I don't, I don't try and look at it from that sort of a mercenary point of view. I just, I really love connecting with people socially and and like as a natural, uh, I'm a pretty friendly guy. Like I just like talking to people and making friends. So in that sense, I'm always, I'm always on the lookout for, for, cool and interesting people uh you know i'm a i feel like it's most important to be a yes man in, the, in that type of situation so for example that that podcast event that, that we met at i had no business being there i had no i was like the the, the the elephant in the room like i was the only person that wasn't a podcaster and i i really had nothing that was leading me there but i was like you know what i'm just gonna say yes to it because you know i'm gonna meet some cool people there's gonna be some sort of opportunity that comes out of it. I'm sure like it's just great to connect with people and anything that comes out of connecting with people, I'm all for it.
0: Yeah. Yes. It's, that's exactly how I was hoping you were going to answer that question because I think a lot of people look at it the way that I phrased that question and they look at it as what person can benefit me. And then they go try to build a relationship with that person. And it's super tactical. And Mm. when you're super tactical about relationships, you can't come off really genuine about it. And the people who win in the long run are the people who are just genuinely curious about people and like to connect with with other human beings. Exactly. and you brought up the example of me and you and I'll, I'll kind of touch on that as well. And, cause I don't know if you remember, but when, when you walked into the restaurant where we all were meeting up that night at the, at the event, I was just kind of standing there. I just, I think I just finished up a conversation with somebody and then you walked in and I, I could just tell that you didn't know anybody there at all. I <laughs> thought you were just like an attendee of the event is what I thought. And uh, you just walked in You you like, just had this look of like bewilderment on your face. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And then he just like (laughs) sat down and I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll I'll just go talk to this guy, you know, see what's up. And so my point is like, if I had had blinders on to the fact that like, you know what? No, I only want to connect with the speakers that are at this event. I only want to connect with the VIPs that are at this event. Mm -hmm. And like, I wouldn't have gone up to you and, and like shaking your hand and been like, Hey, what's up? I'm Travis. And then we wouldn't have had that conversation. And now we wouldn't be sitting on this podcast. Like, because like, because I was just being genuine and having an interest in people and just wanting to connect with cool people anywhere, no matter what the context was, that's what leads to those opportunities. And it's so important just to treat every single person like they are the VIP. And they were very well could be. You never know.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly right, man. Yeah. yeah, it's a great philosophy.
0: What moment, what, like if there was one, along this whole journey, did, can you look back on and be like, that was the moment where I knew that we made it? Where like I knew that this was going to be a wild ride.
2: I think when I got asked to uh, appear on the Build Your Network podcast, probably... <laughs> even <Yes. laughs> like, I didn't even, oh, I didn't
0: even dear, tell you yes. to say that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty pretty clear indication for any for any artist. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, you you I, and every other major artist have that <laughs> one thing in common.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the one moment, if I was to pinpoint it, as to like. The, the fact that we've made it is that what you were asking yeah mm-hmm. it's really hard because i feel again there's so many like different gear shifts that like uh,
0: incremental people, improvements yeah it was really
2: quite incremental like we we i think let me down easy was our that was our very first single ever and i think when that got added to radio in australia that was that was a huge moment for us like that was again this is another another case of of networking and who you know so Jason, our songwriter, his his older brother is a cameraman for a television station here, uh, like one of the big news networks. And once we'd finally recorded our EP, we we had would had Chuggy on board, and we were trying to you know get some sort of traction with the band. We'd recorded this EP with the single "Let Me Down Easy," and Jay's brother Adam gave that EP to uh, the reporter that is he was the cameraman for for the news and she loved the ep and she was playing it in the makeup trailer next to another like host of a a bigger breakfast show like the today show Hmm. and he was listening to the music and he's like oh who's this and uh this reporter was like oh this is you know my cameraman's brother's band you know they've just released this ep i'm just having a listen to it now and he goes oh that's really that's it's really good stuff what's their story and he looked online and he saw that we'd you know, already been to South Africa and London and the US. And we, we had this, I guess, this story behind us of, uh, you know, this band that was going overseas and trying to make it. And he just went and took a risk and said, you know what, let's, let's get him to perform on the show. And, you know, we'll give him a chance. And we got a call saying, hey, do you want to, we've got the slot free on the 27th of September or whatever date it was. Would you like to perform your song Let Me Down Easy on this breakfast show? And we were just like, oh my God, yes, please. That's, a, that's an amazing opportunity. So that came through the fact that Jason's brother worked at the TV station with a reporter who knew the host of the main breakfast show. And it's just like, you know, it like ricocheted up that ladder. And before How you know about it, those
0: relationships, man.
2: Yeah. And, and that very day that we performed on the breakfast show, we got added to radio um, nationwide on, on one of the biggest networks in Australia.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So that was your first glimpse of like actually listening to the radio and then just hearing a song of yours come on
2: yeah, pretty much how How was that uh yeah, that's like I guess that's a moment I'll never forget that was we, we were in two separate cabs we We just finished up dinner, so we we'd gotten the news that all of the networks or all of the stations around Australia had added the song, which is just unheard of you know it, it usually we haven't actually had that again since. With, with even with Geronimo, like really, no song has just been added straight away to every single station. It takes like a little bit of time for it to, I guess, bleed across, you know, the network. Mm-hmm. But we got this. We got the the email that it had been added across all of the networks, and we we had the radio on all day waiting for it. And we were it was like nighttime. We just finished up dinner, and we were in a cab in Sydney, and it came on, and we just lost our shit. We were like, <laughs> oh my god. The cab driver had no idea what was going on. He was yeah. just like, "Turn up! This is our song! This is our song!" And he thought that we just meant like, "Oh, this is our jam, man!" Like, "Turn yeah, up!" Yeah, right, Of course. Yeah. And we're just going crazy in the car. I thought he was going to kick us out, but we, we were just all like, "It was that, you know, doing that thing you did <laughs> that movie with Tom Hanks. You know, when they get out of the car and they run around the first time." Yeah. They it was sort of like that moment where we were just like going absolutely bat shit crazy in the car.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Have there any have there been any more moments that are similar to that one since then, like with other songs or different opportunities that have happened?
2: Yeah, well, "Let Me Down Easy" only got to about I think it was eighteen on the ARIA charts, which is like our, our Billboard charts. So it was huge for us at the time for our first single. That was that was amazing.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
2: And then during the tour of "Let Me Down Easy," we 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 wrote "Geronimo," and that was I guess when when "Geronimo" hit number one, that was that was probably the next phase yeah. i guess the next gear shift that, yeah, that, 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 that was
0: started. on the, on the aria charts you're talking about correct yeah okay
2: okay so that 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 was released in australia before anywhere else in the world type of thing you know it's okay it, that was the song Geronimo was the song that really got assigned uh, and and kicked off our overseas releases i guess
0: yeah yeah so and and when was that that was 2014 okay so a couple of years after you signed yeah. with okay Yeah, Let Me Down
2: Easy was released in 20 the beginning of 2013. And then Geronimo was the I think March 2014.
0: Okay, gotcha. When you're writing these songs, do you have any idea which one is going to be like a big hit? Like have you had that feeling like this is going to be an awesome song? This is going to be like Geronimo was, or this is going to be like Let Me Down Easy was, and then it just like doesn't really pick up any steam.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can never predict it. It's it's all like, it starts with the song, but then there's the whole host of other things that have to go right, the planets need to align for it to become a hit. So there's yeah. a difference between a good song and a hit song. There's, okay. like, you get good feelings about, about, you know, music that you write. So we, we can usually tell if a song that we've written is is a good song. Like, you know, we, whether the melody sort of feels right, the lyrics are the right sort of emotive and relatable and and like the hooks are there like it all kind of blends together and feels like this really nice neat whole package that Mm -hmm. you sort of put together yeah but then you know you release it and you know you don't get the opportunities that you did with the last single like you've already played that tv show so you can't do it again on this one you know you got to do it's just all these like little things that that come together uh, yeah and you you really need a band needs a story so now it's not it's just not enough nowadays to release a song and hope people like it you know mm-hmm. you want to you want to release a song and then they the, the radio stations for them to uh, i guess accept the risk of picking up the song they want to know what the story is behind the song what's the band doing what what story can we tell in interviews are they touring with justin bieber are they doing you know this festival like what's what's the band doing with this song, you know, they, they need, they need that story to go along with it. Otherwise, otherwise it, you know, they're not interested, which is kind yeah. of, which is kind of tough.
0: And and you did tour with Justin Bieber, right?
2: Yes, we did. We had that story down pat.
0: Cool. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> uh, toured with Justin, Bieber? with Justin
2: Bieber. Yes, yes, they are actually. yeah. <laughs> <that. laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, that's funny. So on this path, when you're just meeting all these different musicians and artists and stuff, was there anybody that you just like really got along with that you that like like an artist that that you really looked up to or something that you're just like i can't believe i'm opening for or i'm playing with or i'm alongside of them in this tour and they just became like a really good friend of yours
2: well i guess you he's a huge artist here in australia and the uk but apparently he's quite an unknown in america which is really funny but do do you know robbie williams i don't know the name no See, Robbie Williams, He's he's got, I'm loving angels instead. You know, you know oh, that song? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, for right. sure. For so sure. He's, he's, uh, he's massive. He's like Madonna level in Australia, UK, pretty much everywhere except the USA. I'm not really sure why he never crossed over, but he he was a huge one for us growing up that we then supported last year. Actually, earlier this year. It was at the start of this year. But he he had us on as a support act for his shows in Australia, and it was the most unbelievable experience. He was so down to earth and so lovely. You know, we had an, an absolute entourage of people for that first show. Just everyone was so excited, and our friends and family group that you know we had like fifteen to twenty people that were on the guest list just for us. Which is uh, it's a bit of a no no when you're know, the support act to be like you know taking over the backstage area with with your with your posse type of type of thing yeah. but he, he walked in he walked in straight away like got out of his car came straight over to us and he's like hey everybody you know thanks so much for being a part of this you know nice to meet you all he went around shook everyone's hand gave my grandma a hug <laughs> like just just stuff that you wouldn't expect someone of his caliber to right. to, to do and I like that just that sort of behavior just really sticks to us and really like leaves an impression on us and you know we'll, we'll that's the way we're going to act when we, if we ever get to that level, you know, and we have a support act who, who are really nervous, you know, we'll always be open and welcoming because we've had that experience with him. And after the, the final show, after we came off stage, he was there waiting for us. He'd been watching us. And he was like, Hey, I just want to say, you know, I really love your songs. They're so well put together. And I want to start, uh, I want to start conversations around a writing session. And that was like, that just like a sledgehammer to my chest. <laughs> just like just totally didn't I had no idea what to say. Yeah. It was like one of my childhood idols. Right. Saying right. that to me it was just that was like a moment. Yeah, that's a moment that I'll I'll remember for sure. And um <laughs> yeah, we're try, we're trying to tear it up. We we actually went over to LA and cuz he's got a house in LA cuz nobody knows who he is in America, he can just walk around the streets and he loves it. He's got a house in Los Angeles that invited us to come to. So we we booked a whole ticket uh, the whole trip. Sorry, we booked tickets to go to LA for these um, songwriting sessions. Like we booked other sessions around it, but with the main goal of going to write with Robbie Williams. And <laughs> one day before we uh, meant to spend three days with him, he gets called to the UK and he has to he has to jet off. And I think it was for the FIFA opening ceremony or something. He had to. He got asked <laughs> to. No so we got we got uh, we got shafted
1: <laughs> hey
0: but Please. like you but you would do it again though
2: i would get shafted by robbie williams any day Yeah, <laughs> no, but he was very apologetic and he was like oh, i'm so sorry to do that to you guys but we, we you know we'll try and find another time to do it so we'll see if it happens again but
0: yeah yeah
2: <laughs> that was a really Absolutely. cool experience getting shafted Absolutely. by robbie
0: Well, that's it for today's show thank you so much for tuning in as most of you know i talk a lot about giving value to others this podcast is one of the ways that i do that since all the content from the show is totally 100 for free and when people ask me how they can add value to me one of the ways i tell them is to head over to itunes hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review this not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show but it also helps me with apple's algorithm so please 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 if you have not done that yet Head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Also, if you have not yet registered for my live event out here at Top Golf behind MGM in Las Vegas this coming November, then you're going to want to head to buildyournetworklive.com to do that right away. Seating is extremely limited, so you need to act fast on this. Head to buildyournetworklive.com to grab your ticket today. Trust me, you are going to want to be a part of this inaugural live event so that in 10 years from now, you can brag about being one of the founding members. Plus, you know me. I promise I will over-deliver on value and make it worth way more than you are going to invest to get here. So have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.